This is Jewish Board Talk with Sheree Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. In 1986, Arona Dyson spent time in the women's section of Polesmore Prison in a space reserved for white political detainees. She was 20 years old and already involved with the UDF and NUSAS, and she was arrested for handing out flyers against the state of emergency regulations. She is one of the mentioned featured in Jonathan Anch's book, Mentions in the Trenches, and she's my guest now to tell me more. Arona, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. Arona, I read your story, and what kind of struck me, maybe more so than the others, is how incredibly young you were, and yet how how much of life you'd lived at the age of 20. I mean, when you look back on it, does it seem strange? I guess it does seem strange when I look back on it now, and also, you know, compared to some of the 20-year-olds that I know at this stage, like friends of children and that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it didn't seem strange at the time. <laughs> And I, I mean, think I, I always was a bit like old for my age. I grew up with adults and so on. <laughs> I mean, you to be in, in a political detainee at the age of 20, you're already involved in, in varsity politics. You're already aware of the tensions of people who were potentially spies, the lack of trust. It's a lot to take in. How did you yeah. cope with all of that? Well, I think that it was very much about sort of being brave and being strong and keeping going, keeping going. And that was the kind of ethos in a way amongst people, people in the left at that point, that there was something bigger than ourselves that was driving us to, to keep on going. And, um, I think there was a lot of psychological damage that was done during that process. And I know that I experienced that, you know, and some people experience much, much more worse repression than I did. And, um, you know, I think that it has manifested itself afterwards in, in some bad psychological issues that people experienced. And also maybe some of the damage that one can see amongst, you know, people in government and so on. It does sound, and at the time you experienced depression as well, um, and, and lack of trust. You know, on the one hand, I mean, from what I'm understanding, you're caught up in the movement, you're caught up in the ideology, you're caught up in the wanting and needing to make a difference, and the ability to see that you can, you can actually make a difference, and you did. On the other hand, there was that constant fear as well, that constant fear, that lack of trust, that it must have been quite frightening. Yeah, it it was very frightening, particularly when people were exposed as being spies, for example, because there was that trust. It was often people that, you know, one would never have expected who, who were like more committed than anything. So it was it was devastating when people were exposed as spies. I mean, you also, you were in jail, you described hearing this, you first you described the morale of a woman trying to keep the morale up um, again. And at the same time, you, you talk about hearing the singing and the crying of um, black women prisoners who are obviously experiencing things differently. Do you want to share your experiences of the prison? You know, I think that we were very aware, the white women were very aware of our lack of immediate danger. Like, just being confined and incarcerated is already like a very, a very horrible thing to experience. 
but we knew that we wouldn't get beaten up in interrogations and stuff like that. So, you know, once again, there was that, that feeling of I'm coping with this, you know, I'm really coping. This is, this is, I can do this kind of thing. And, and as, as I said in the, in the story that I wrote, there was this emphasis on the 14 days because the state had permission to keep people for 14 days and then they had to like renew the, renew the thing. So that 14 day deadline was like really important and it, it was really scary when I wasn't released at 14 days, but then in fact I was released the day afterwards. But there was that, that camaraderie was an amazing experience and you know, people like Gabby Shapiro, who really was had such strength in kind of making a positive out of a negative experience. The details and the way that we managed to cope was a really amazing experience. I mean, two weeks in jail, what was the food like? Where did you sleep? Was it cold? Was it miserable? <laughs> the food was pretty terrible. <laughs> But again, one of the privileges that we had was that people could bring us money and the warders would go and buy things, orders for us from checkers to kind of supplement the meal and like bits of other things, stationery or whatever. And then the cells, it was an area with cells and then a passage and the passage was opened up to be like a communal area. And then we get locked in our separate cells at four o'clock in the evening and then we'd be there till like six o'clock the next morning. So now that time when it was open and we were getting little exercise periods and so on was okay. And then there was this dread about being shut in your own cell at four o'clock. <laughs> but I think it was a completely different experience because that there was that communal space that we had than just being in one's own cell the whole time and being on one's own without other political prisoners around would, would be very hard. I mean, you experienced interrogation as well. It must have been yes. extremely frightening. And the, and the most difficult part, of course, is you don't want to implicate anybody you know. What was that like, Arona? The, the one thing is that we used to prepare for interrogations, which was another amazing thing about, you know, being with that group of people, that during exercise time when we thought that we were away from bugs, people would sort of like coach me about how to deal with it and that kind of thing. And then, you know, I think there was a naivety. I was naive as well about the movement and there may have been people who who I knew who were in the ANC underground movement, but I didn't know that they were. So in a way that, that innocence kind of protected me. But I did try to sort of play more innocent than I was and I also just tried to tell them things that they would have known anyway because there was a lot that they would have known about the student movement and who was you know they wanted to know like who was instigating things like that and things like that and I'm sure they would have known most of that stuff anyway. (laughs) What I found interesting was that the security who interrogated me his name was Engelbrecht and he was like very charming and smooth and so on. And I just found, found that quite an irony in a way, like that I was dealing with this very, very charming person. Arona, what was the role of women during the party, kind of national party side? Because very rarely do you meet women interrogators or women. What was their role, if any? I can't really answer that question in a broad sense, but I just know of a, a very well-known 
spy who was called Olivia, who was in at Rhodes University, who was very, very entrenched in the in the left community there, who was exposed. But otherwise, you're talking about women in the National Party structures. Well, I, I suppose, no, not so much. In, yeah, like, all the interrogators I've ever read about have all been men. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I imagine that you had women warders. But beyond that, okay, you've mentioned, obviously, women spies. But I'm just wondering, did you have any dominant women from the National Party in your life? No. It's an interesting, you know, just when I was reading about the women's jail, I kind of wondered, you know, you, you had women warders, I'm assuming. Yeah. Nonetheless, all the, the processes, the police, everything were all men. Yes. Those doing the arresting, those doing the interrogations, those, it was, I mean, it maybe say something about that society at the time. Uh, Rona, if you had to look, what would your advice be now to your younger self? I have often regretted that because I got so involved in the struggle, I repressed a lot of aspects of my life, particularly to do with creativity. So there was a lot of self-censorship. I was interested in creative writing, and then I started thinking, no, the only the only valuable writing is writing about the struggle and you know, other things were self-indulgent. There was so much that was seen as self-indulgent. And I think to some extent, even though I haven't believed those things for a long time, it really influenced me. And, you know, subsequently getting into academia, there's a different type of suppression of creativity that I experience as well, though it doesn't need to be like that. I would have loved to just have more space to just explore things, and particularly in terms of creativity. Well, the good news is you are so young and young looking and, um, <laughs> and with emotional maturity. I'm sure now actually for many people, yours is just beginning and I'm sure we're going to like be overwhelmed by what you're going to come up with. So Rona, don't give up on that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Rona, I think that is where we have to leave it. But uh, okay. thank you very much for joining me. And, um, yeah, thank you for sharing your story. It was very poignant and quite sad. And, um, yeah, it's important to reflect this, you know, kind yeah. of all these years later. So thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Therese. That was Arona Dyson, who has a chapter in Jonathan Ance's book, Mentures in the Trenches.